So guys, I'm going to keep this real simple. I literally just sat back and learned a ton. Today's guest on a brand new episode of Let's Talk Startups. This guy's brilliant. I've never met someone this smart when it comes to finance, when it comes to just macro high level unicorn startup culture. Um, someone that really knows how to unpack an organization from a just a pure business objective and someone that's just really talented. Um, I learned a lot today and uh, I just want to say thank you to my guest. I'm just going to let you guys consume this. I don't really have too much to say. Get ready for another episode of Let's Talk Startups. This one is definitely one for the record books. Appreciate all of you. Enjoy. Okay. So how do you want to do this? (laughs) Let's just hop right in, man. Like I said, this is a real laid back uh, podcast. Okay. I, I, I use it to, I use it to build relationships and just bring value and talk shop. So let's hop right in. Um, yeah, you were you were about to tell me about something that uh, sounded very interesting. So I'm gonna shut up and let you let you take over here. Sure. Uh, I mean, I just got off of a call. Now, are you expecting maybe an introduction I could start off with? Or just go right into that call. We could start off with that call because it's quite interesting as well. We'll go right into the call. You sure. know, from, from the introduction part, I'll have you, uh, I'll give you a 30 seconds of glory in a moment. But yeah, let's hop right into the call for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, funny that you texted me or called me just now. Uh, I was going to re-listen for like the few minutes I had before our meeting uh, on this conversation. And the way the call ended was this could potentially be the largest project in human history. And so to give you the size of the deal without talking too much about the deal or the call that was on, uh, it's about 500 million. And it has to do with electric vehicles being deployed, uh, I guess you could say across the USA, Brazil, and even Europe. So uh, yeah, it was just a super inspiring conversation that I just got off the phone with. Now, that's not uh, necessarily what I do mainly, but uh, it's just another group that, that I found out there. And I guess as we have our conversation today, I could kind of give you uh, a little insight into what they do and some of the innovative, uh, I guess you could say, debt facilities that exist out there today. Because that, that's of the many groups I've engaged with across the nation. Uh, you know, I meet venture capitalists, private equity people, commercial real estate people. Uh, this is by far one of the most sophisticated groups. And that was the call that I just got off with. <laughs> Yeah, well, let's let's dive into the details as much as you can. So, yeah, what what can you tell us about this? I mean, five hundred million is a big number. You also said, um, you also said this may be the biggest project um, in human the- in the history of humankind. <laughs> so, yeah, I want I want to unpack this. T- talk to me a bit here. Uh, okay, okay, okay. So, I guess there's a few parties that you have to understand. And first of all, you you're probably wondering, well, who is lending out or giving out five hundred million? Right. And then the other question is, who is asking for 500 million? So maybe starting with the, the first group or, or the uh, who's asking for 500 million. Uh, I can't speak too much on that deal, but the, the phone call was really inspiring, went on for an hour. And basically, it's uh, it's a combination of a few entities that is here in the USA, in Silicon Valley, Palo Alto. And they are in close relationships with Tesla in, in some way, if I recall. And they're looking, They, I guess they got a government deal with the Brazilian government. And so the Brazilian government has given them permission as well as provide some funding to make the project happen. 
And so if they become successful, I guess they could be uh, deploying massively uh, electric vehicle transportation between uh, California, Brazil, and even Europe because they got connections there as well. So that's probably the highest level of the deal that I could talk about in terms of like who is looking to uh, uh, access 500 million. Uh, to speak about the other side in terms of like, you know, how am I associated with this group that could basically provide 500 million? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, let's, let's maybe let's start with uh, who I am and, and how I came across this group, if you want to go. Well, actually, yeah. let's let's talk about the group. Who I am doesn't really matter. <laughs> so the group is, uh, I guess, in my journey here in Silicon Valley, uh, I've met a lot of sophisticated groups. Uh, but this is by far one of the most sophisticated groups that reached out to me. And I think I'm pretty lucky to engage with them because there's really only five other known groups that are doing what they're doing in the nation, as far as I know, uh, and as far as this group has identified. And in, in its simplest form, what they do is basically, well, they innovate debt facilities. They design their own debt facilities. In other words, right, you know, we when you want to borrow uh, money to buy a home, you get a mortgage. When you want to borrow money to start a business, you get an SBA loan. When you want to borrow money to do something a little bit bigger, like a commercial real estate deal, you could get like a government agency loan or a commercial bank loan. Mm -hmm. But what happens when you want to borrow, let's say, 100 million or access 100 million, access 500 million? Well, it gets a little gray area, right? Because even the bank would want to access 100 million. And, and once you get to that upper level tier, the networking gets very highly esoteric and you start to really just deal with like hedge funds, pension funds, trust, billion dollar trust funds uh, and, and all that. And it's a very select, few select group, uh, but that's basically what they are uh, in, 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 I guess, the most simplest explanation that I could do. Uh, so in, so I guess to give you a little bit more, uh, how are they able to do it? Um, the CEO of this company that I'm associated with in a very far away derivative, a third derivative way, I guess, uh, he basically said, why are we, you know, all, all the debt facilities or all the loans that people are getting from traditional USA banks, how come it's, it's a hundred years old? How come no one's really disrupted that, that facility, right? We're all playing on old lending contracts. And so he basically designed a program around a institutional trade desk. So to access this level of money, uh, to my knowledge, and this is probably where it, it's it's like high finance, it gets highly sophisticated. I can't explain it clearly. And uh, I probably wouldn't understand it. Yeah, yeah. Right. So 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 the highest level of financing is again going back to the bank looking accessing a uh, hundred million, five hundred million, a billion dollars. How do they access that? Well, one way to access that besides like hedge funds, pension funds, trust funds and all that is there's something called the trade desk. And this gentleman, this brilliant gentleman, he designed a facility uh, that that is a program around that trade desk. And what is a trade desk? You know, a trade desk is basically uh, inside something like a JP Morgan. There's a institutional trade desk, a physical trade desk that, to my knowledge, is connected to all other trade desks around the world. And those trade desks, if I recall, the fee to access it would be $100 million. So if you pay a fee to play a game, it's a high rollers game, right? You pay $100 million to play the game. Well, you know, how much can you make, <laughs> right? Exactly. So it's even, it's, exactly. it's even bigger money and it has to do with, well, you know, I, I ask him, you know, he's not necessarily regulated by 
USA banking regulation because at his level, he's at the international level. So it is at the, I guess you could say, international banking level. And the rules are, uh, I guess, different, right? Mm -hmm. The rules that apply because now you're associated with commodities, forex currencies, uh, global sovereigns around the world. So it's some, uh, it's some big game stuff. But uh, yeah, that was the meeting that I was just on right before I met up with you for this podcast today. Uh, <laughs> well, you, you missed you miss one big component. Sure, sure. How are you a part of this? Uh, so, you know, I guess, could I start as with my... As, you can, as much as you can describe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, what happened was, I guess, uh, through all the adventures that I've been through in terms of business, uh, it really brought me to meet a lot of people. And I think it's probably better if I tell you my entire story. But in, in a nutshell, how am I associated with is I simply met a gentleman here in California who is uh, over at Tesla, and he's part of this, I guess, $500 million project. And he just casually said, okay, you know, this is what I'm looking for. And I just said, hey, I know a guy. <laughs> and, and next thing you know, you know we're, we're all in a meeting, and I'm just seeing if I could support him. But at, that's, you know, that's so key. What I just said is so key is that at the end of the day, it's really about helping people. So yeah. I, wh what am I? I'm associated in, I guess, a third derivative. And I mainly do it because I'm helping people who are really trying to change the world for tomorrow. And, and does this pro can, this can this project make the world a lot better you know, the day that you left it? I think so. Because, well, we're going to remove a lot of uh, carbon footprints. And we're going to reduce the amount of wildfires in California. And, yeah, I, I, it's, it's nice to be part of those conversations. Walk down this rabbit hole for me, and then please let everyone know who the hell is talking. <laughs> yeah, seven minutes. Um, what uh, you know, how much how much success have you had because of what you just said, right? How much how many good things have come into your life based off of either who you know, bringing value when necessarily you maybe either a didn't need to or b wasn't even really asked to go above and beyond, but you felt it would just be a good idea to organically do so. I mean, where does that fit in within your your life's success? Because I feel like, um, you know, so the series of this, I don't know if you remember this, so the series of the podcast that you're on right now, it's called Let's Talk Startups. And I feel like so many so many founders um, at times miss that boat yeah. when it comes to just organically bringing value, finding ways to help or 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 really diving deeper into who you know and making those strategic relationships so yeah. how much of that has a lot to do with your success everything 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 relationships are everything and and you know you got to put in that that actual sweat work to make it happen so i i built my entire i guess you could say emerging empire today in silicon valley it's a little tiny empire I hope some people notice <laughs> through the foundation of just helping people. I've, you know, I've, I, I've lectured for free on investments for the last four years. And through doing that for free, I built real relationships as well as I built real legitimate knowledge about global finance and all that high finance and that ability, gaining that ability to speak high finance put me in the right situation. So, I think it's it's everything, man. You got to help people. That's the secret sauce. 
Give me an example of high finance. What what classifies as high finance? High finance is what we just kind of talked about, right? Where we escalate away from the U.S. national banking level, and now we're at the international level, and we're talking about, I guess, you know, potentially uh, helping the government of Brazil or the Philippines access money. That's that's some high level stuff. Because well, I, I, in, in well, to keep it even simpler, the quantitative of like what makes it high level is probably the dollar size, the dollar size of the deal. So, yeah. so you know, you, you, I guess on the news right now, you hear Slack getting acquired by Salesforce for twenty something billion. That's a pretty big deal, right? So that that to me is uh, considered high finance. Interesting. Yeah. I got it. I it's got dollar it. size. I mean, if you're if you're trying, I mean, in Silicon Valley, million dollar homes all around us. Uh, I guess that's that's high finance to some people, but I, I've looked beyond that. I think anything above probably twenty million to 100 million that's a tier of high finance and then like the super high finance would probably be a billion and up walk us back for a second what i do like to do that i like to keep the backgrounds tight yeah um and really really talk just just talk shop but uh so give us a maybe a 45 second just you know cover the last 10 years in, in 45 seconds if you can 10 years of my life in 45 seconds and, and you personally. Oh, man, that's 45 seconds is not enough. But uh, let's see. In the last 10 years and 45 seconds uh, came from a background. Well, uh, humble beginnings, which inspired me to study finance and economics, went through school, yep. worked into uh, got into finance at Morgan Stanley, realized that being at a national broker dealer was too regulating. So I left, started an investment club and fell in love with teaching. Just three people at a cafe. The next thing you know, four years later. Uh, it became 100 people every week, upwards of 120 people every week listening to everything I have to say about finance and economics. And little did I know, uh, eventually all the people I met, I fell into, uh, I fell into serial networking <laughs> and helping people. And then I fell into venture capital and now actively angel investing. And then most recently, I fell into commercial real estate investments. So uh, now I, I didn't mention this this higher finance group, but that's another thing I fell into. So I'm kind of just going with the flow and the foundational success component of it is just helping people. So I hope that was like 45 seconds. <laughs> no, no, you, that was great. That was great. I, I am known for doing like a 12 minute background. So your 45 seconds was amazing. Thank you. Uh, let me let me ask you this. What were you doing? To, to keep your head above water as you were bringing tremendous amounts of value and trying to build real relationships. And I'm asking you this. Um, so what we're going to do, if you can already kind of see the cadence, I'm going to go back and forth between talking just true shop as if me and you were just at a bar having a cocktail. Yeah. And then I'm going to try to like empathetically think about hopefully the thousands of people over the course of some time here that will listen to this one particular episode. Yeah. Um, so for those people for a moment, um, those that know me know right now uh, I do a number of things. Uh, I make I don't, the, the number doesn't matter. I make some money doing speaking. I make some money doing just ad hoc advising. I make some random money doing eBay hustling. Um, I am not afraid to get into my car and do an Uber or a DoorDash or I do a lot of different random stuff yeah. because eight months ago, um, I don't know if you remember this, eight months ago, I was an employee. I was a head of people at a at a growth organization here in the DMV yep, area, yep. and uh, I was furloughed. And I told myself that 
in order for me to build the business the way that I wanted to build it, I was not going to be able to be bogged down by 40, 50, 60 hour a week, day to day, uh, nine to yep. five with deliverables and, you know, direct reports and things of that yep. nature. I was going to need a, a tr- extreme flexibility because to your point, what I wanted to do is I wanted to have the flexibility and the freedom to, to dive really, really deep and have really organic conversations, build relationships yeah. Uh, forge partnerships yeah. that would set me up 18 months from now, two years from now. And so that's my scrappy version. What were you doing? Because it, and here, before you answer the question, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a tip to everyone listening. Like I'm, I'm seeing a lot of kids out here and you probably know this. You, you actually not probably, you know, this way more than <laughs> I do. I'm seeing a lot of kids out here uh raising uh venture or raising or, or or having angel investors give them dollars because in my personal opinion because of the lack of scrappiness to do what I'm talking about while they're trying to get their thing off the ground. I'm using I'm seeing them take that capital, not put it into infrastructure, not putting it into marketing, not putting it into building the thing, putting it in their pocket so they can spend more time building their thing when I think there's other ways to be scrappy and to do it. Right. Um what were you personally doing to be scrappy to pay your bills? Because if you're building the type of relationship you were saying you're yeah. building, that took a lot of time that I'm sure did not reap financial benefits immediately. You know, uh, well, based off of my humble beginning, right? Parents were immigrants, essentially. Uh, I've always been on top of my financial game, I'd say, my personal finances. And, and so okay. throughout college, uh, I, I focused on studying investments. And I even ran an investment club and all that. So uh, I was always on top of that. And the way I stayed scrappy, it might not be, uh, you know, that hardcore story where I did Uber or worked at a restaurant or anything like that. I really just worked in safe. I worked in enterprise software, right? The moment I left Morgan Stanley, I jumped into enterprise software sales. And every dollar that I made, I just saved and invest, mainly invest because that's my, that's where I geek out like hard. And so uh, the investments paid out. It created me a nest egg. And I, I guess I, I was creating that security that I wanted. So I'm only able to do what I am to, able to do today, meet all these relationships, is, well, eventually I, I just saved up and, and started uh, transitioning out of W-2. And I could speak about that all day long. Transitioning out of W-2 and getting into the 1099 or 1120, starting your own business or corporation, to really benefit from the gains because I think a lot of society is really backwards and most kids don't know that yet, sadly. So don't you think that's, 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 that's something, right? Like whether it's the way that you did it or the way that I'm currently doing it or the other ways, there, there was a level of flexibility that, that came yeah, with that. Right? Yeah. I mean, there, at the end of the day, I don't think there's uh you know, a wrong way or a right way to do it. I think, uh, there's just, to me, I'm very technical. I think at the end of the day, there's, there's just economic trajectory. And those, that trajectory, if you can analyze it well enough, is based on a lot of like global macro economic situations that's set up really well, right? The reason why, uh, you know, W2 is not enough today is that, well, look, we just recently had the global pandemic and the governments are printing a lot more money. And all this money printing is going to create uh, asset price inflation. In other words, you're going to see higher stock prices, higher real estate prices, and it's all artificial. They call that stagflation. Stagflation is basically you get higher prices and productivity goes down. Productivity is down is because, well, there's a global pandemic. There's a virus. Entities or businesses or corporations are not as productive. And so 
them printing money is actually is actually decaying the game, decaying the American dream, right? Decaying the W two. And there's actually specific numbers all around that to kind of see. So all these people that you see that are side hustling, doing I guess uh, DoorDash, Airbnb, their their rental or their business, their real estate, uh, Uber, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I I, I personally think uh, it's the you know the bigger macro situation where again governments are are printing money and decaying the ability for W2 to purchase the American dream. So the future now moving forward is actually a hybrid of W2 as well as some 1099 gig like Uber. So you'll get, you know, it's going to be very common to see uh, all levels of employees working at a company. And then after work, they're going to go do Uber, DoorDash or whatever Internet related business. Right. Because that's kind of tailored around the COVID-19 situation. Can I can I ask you one one really, yeah. really quick question? And I want to jump back into a lot of yeah, stuff yeah. that you do. Uh, but I got I got to sprinkle yeah. this in here. What you just said, I think, was really interesting. Um, so I have this company. I have this company called this brand called Monday yeah. Anticipation. It houses it houses Beyond Brand Studios and it houses Beyond Resume. And the entire energy behind the brand is really really simple. It's you know my personal opinion within whether it's a startup, whether it's a growth organization, whether it's a VC backed company, or whether it's a small business. Uh, that houses 70 people in the middle of Alabama or Baltimore or whatever yeah. the case is. My personal opinion is due to what yeah. you just said, the rising of Uber, DoorDash, again, let's not forget, you know, eBay flipping, uh, you know, hustler, right? And just, just yeah. doing whatever, you know, the opportunities are so vast yeah. now. Um, my whole thesis has always been companies employers need to really keep their eye on that because it was very easy 30 years ago 20 years ago shit 10 yep. years ago to to create negative cultures and to create negative experiences for your employees knowing that you could look them dead in their face and say you have no other option <laughs> I know you're gonna yeah. Be here. yeah yeah right and one thing i'm screaming at employers about is listen Everything I'm asking you guys to do operationally yeah. will help you make yeah. more money. But let's just talk about let's just let's put that on the table. Let's not even talk about all the data and all the tactics sure. and strategies and frameworks I can scream at you. Let's just even put sure. that to the side. What I tell employers all the time is let me just give you one actual question. And when COVID wasn't here, I would sit people down and let me just look at you dead in your face. And I would kind of get intense and I would sit up in my seat. I would look at them dead in their eyes. And I was gonna say, Do you understand that? At any moment right now, most of your employees right now can leave this company and go do a multitude of things to make half of the income they're making now and then replace that other half doing something else and be just okay. Like if they're scrappy enough, yep. if they're flexible enough, it, can. it could happen. And do you know how vulnerable that actually makes <laughs> you right now? Um, what are your thoughts on that whole rant? Because that's something I believe. Well, in you know, if uh, I'm still the mystery person on this podcast, but if you want to introduce, uh, if you let me introduce my stage name, uh, it, it's that it's that thesis, Please. right? So uh, I'm Kay, but most most people know me here in Silicon Valley as this cheesy stage name called Enterprise Guy. And basically, the thesis okay. around that is that, well, uh, I guess the simple one is that I'm seeing the rise of consumer technology stack. In other words, to keep it simple. Uh, I think the individual today, you and I, the average consumer, has more technological leverage than we've ever had in the history of mankind. 
And because of that advancement in things like Uber or Facebook, well, social media, uh, communication tools, really, it's allowed anyone to really go out there and build a business. It's really changed the fundamentals of the business landscape. So, so, so the big thesis is that, well, moving forward, I truly believe that every individual will become an enterprise guy or girl, and they just don't know it yet. And the concept behind that is that each individual will leverage a lot more technology to be scrappy, like you said, and to really be able to escape from their employer or their W-2, because honestly, the big macro stuff is saying W-2 is not enough. So in all, all simplicity, the technology exists today for people to go and chase their dreams more than ever. And, and they will do so when the numbers don't compute back at, you know, typical nine to five. And what does that mean for, and what does that mean for? It's going to be a situation where employers need to make the deal a lot more sweeter for the employees, right? It's going to be a lot harder because, mm -hmm. well, what, what, what I just talked about is essentially the gig economy, right? And so if employers are, yeah. well, you know, one employers has, they always had to compete with other employers today. They have to complete compete with other employers as well as compete with growing technology that will allow their individual employees to do more. Think about that, right? That's going to, yeah. well, that's going to be, that means you have to treat your employees more true than ever to really sustain the organization or tribe because the employees have options today. That's what it means. Yep. And, and let me, and let me also in, in my neck of the woods here, and then, sure. and then we'll jump back to you. Let me also tell you guys directly what that means as well. When it, when it gets into career mapping conversations or looking at a workflow or looking at a decision-making model or thinking about learning and development, all that shit that you guys tell me is not important and everything like that, what it really means is you guys need to empathetically unpack what each and every employee at an individual, individual level actually wants, and I guarantee you need to break your back trying to figure out a way to make it a win-win. I'm not saying – what I'm not saying to you guys is – bend over backwards and let them do whatever they want and not make it productive for the business and put you in a tough spot. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you need to meet them where they are because you, you damn well know they're meeting you where you want them to meet you. Um, and so uh, there's a lot of options out here and uh, wake up um, if, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, so let me jump into a, a couple other things here. Talk to me about, um, talk to me about enter uh, enterprise software startups. What, what are your, What's your POV on it? What, what's your thesis? What are you What are you seeing? What are you thinking? And uh, try to blend in your your angel investment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I think when you ask me what's my thesis around enterprise software, uh, I I own enterpriseguy.com, right? I, I and I'm I'm bold enough to say uh, to change my name or my stage name and tell people to just call me Enterprise Guy, and and there's a story behind that as well because people just don't remember names, right? But to focus on to hone in to focus in on your question, uh, you know why enterprise software? Why what's the big thesis, right? So uh, my my stage name, enterprise guy, is a psychological tactic that I'm leveraging to basically allow myself to be on top of mind of every enterprise software executive and investor down the road. When did you decide this? When did you decide that you were going to go from? The every, you know, shit, call yeah. it what you want to call it with me, you know, outside yeah. of E1B2, 
Exactly. No one knows me for anything either. So maybe, you know, I need to think about, so when did you move from, I'm going to do it like everyone else is doing it to, I'm going to move yeah, yeah. more of this character. Not, and that's not, and that's Yeah, not yeah, yeah. So, so uh, it really started off with the investment club, right? I left my nine to five and I started the investment club, start off with just three people at a cafe. And I eventually grew that to uh, meeting a hundred people every week. And so as I was lecturing to hundred people every week on investments, I looked at the industry power curve and came to the conclusion that enterprise software is the you know, highest, hardest hitting arena to play in. And, and what re- arena you play in really matters. So ultimately what I, what I realized, now I'm sorry, your, your question was again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no, no, you're fine. Yeah, no, the, 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 no, cause you're going in a good path. But the question was just essentially, when did you make the decision to, to pivot and create this, 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 I don't want to right, call it right, right. but the name. Yeah, yeah. So, so what, yeah, so what eventually happened was I met a lot of people and it allowed me to become a serial networker. And I was hosting all these networking events all over Silicon Valley. And one day I was just in the room and, you know, people would come up and say, Hey, like, you're the host guy, right? You're that startup guy, right? And I'm just like, I don't understand. Like, I'm, I'm making the flyer, which no one reads, but yet we got a hundred people in the room. And yet no one remembers the host's name, <laughs> right? So, so psychologically, yep. no matter how much technology evolves, it, there's always a, a, you know, a human being behind a piece of technology. And so as long as that human component exists, you got to play the psychology. And then I started to realize because I started meeting 400 people in person each month and realizing, you know, dealing with people not able to remember my name, I decided to brand myself as enterprise guy because it was, well, it's catchy. And it was also playing into a very large economic theme, which is what you just uh, asked previously. So why enterprise software? Uh, I, I explained that it's the it's you know it's a very performing segment. Uh, but if I could ask you again, what was the specific question that you asked me about enterprise software? No, just your thesis, what yeah. what what you're seeing, and then and then I was saying you know tie in you know tie in your angel and gotcha. uh that you've been doing or will continue to do. Just what's what's interesting to you. Just not only about it. But yeah, we, yeah. We so that's that's the stage name. And so uh, I do apologize for asking all the questions because I, you know, trying to structure the no, story. No, no. But basically, as I was teaching, I realized that this was going to be the next big thing. And, and I still believe that to this day because uh, I'm a big heavy. I'm heavy on looking at the numbers at the big macro level. And so I think about it. Right. What is the most disruptive? If we keep moving forward, what's the most disruptive thing that's happening right now? So if you if you know the listeners could just imagine a rectangular flat map of the world, right? Something that you could just buy on Amazon or whatever. Imagine that map and put a layer of software, a horizontal layer over it, right? People ask me as an angel investor, like, what verticals are you focused on? I tell them what verticals, but I really tell them my main focus is this horizontal play, and the horizontal play is just layering a piece of software infrastructure over that map, and that's what I'm investing into. What I'm seeing right now is that as you know, there's there's competition between the younger generation and the older generation. And as wealth inequality will expand, in my opinion, I believe that the younger generation will disengage from the physical economic games. Right. So all this chase for real estate and overpriced real estate stocks and all that, they're going to disengage from that and they're going to increase their engagement in, I guess, the digital economy. And what that essentially means is that we're going to get a lot more software consumption. And for people to consume software, there's going to be a lot more software production. So when now looking at that horizontal landscape, I'm thinking like, okay, well, 
my big thesis is software, but what arena of software do I want to be in? So what I realized is that I'm more of a fan. My background was also in enterprise software sales. So I realized that, well, I could play the bigger, I guess, the, the consumer Internet arena, which is companies like Facebook, Yelp, Instagram, Snapchat and all that. But those markets are a little too competitive. Right. And so what I decided was that, well, enterprise software on the B2B side is less competitive. And, you know, something that I've once read that I thought was really interesting about software in general was that they said consumer Internet software tends to monopolize. And enterprise software tends to oligopolize. So in, in other words, in consumer internet world or consumer software world, uh, that if you build a business and it becomes king, it tends to monopolize. You tend to have one big winner versus when you're in enterprise software, mm -hmm. you tend to have multiple winners. So from an angel investor perspective, my probabilities are higher on the enterprise software side, as well as the barriers to entry is even better. Right. So uh, the more technical that topic is, the less and less people participate. And so when I'm diving into this angel investment landscape, which is my thesis and where my focus is, I'm noticing some of those the most, I guess you could say, impressive global uh, venture capital firms or private equity firms out there investing mainly on the B2B enterprise software side. So not, I'm not saying that I won't chase the, the consumer side, but. That's essentially my thesis, right? My thesis is the software horizontal play across the world. And we're, you know, we're going to increase our engagement in the digital economy. So software consumption production goes up. And within software, I want to be more on the higher probability side, which is enterprise software, because it tends to oligopolize versus to monopolize. When, when, it, when, it, comes to, when it comes to angel investing, you know, what do you what are you really trying to do with it right so how how are you structuring your portfolios from from a from a from a financial play personally right like is this are you looking to build out a really you know are you trying to grow the chris soccer route like you know what what are you, what are you doing with this personally where you see yeah, me, yeah. i just turned 30, 30 actually right? and i turned 30 uh yesterday right <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you thank hey, you happy birthday brother did you well, you know, uh, LA, LA, the whole yeah, state yeah. of California shut down, correct? So, you, uh, I'm sure you did not indulge in a few shots with some, no, some, not at all, some lovely ladies. Just there. that, just that home reading a book that, that, <laughs> that did not happen. There, yeah, it yep. was, a, it was a great birthday, huh? Um, so I guess what I was going to ask you is from an angel investing perspective. Where, yeah. where are you trying to take this? I mean, you personally, with your career, me and you right now, you know, I, I, I tell my girlfriend this all the time. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm such in this weird, pivotal moment in my life where it could really go two ways. You know, I, I, I've done enough work in the last seven to nine years where I'll always be able to make. It's not about the money, but let's just talk about money for a second. I'll always be able to make a certain amount right. and be at a certain level. But then the next few years for me personally are very pivotal because I got to I got to make a lot of right moves and, and play correctly between yeah. now and probably 33 to set up my life in the 40s and 50s family wise, exter you know, external wise, financial wise to be what I want it to be. Because, you know, for me, I'm only I'm only giving this grind that I'm doing probably another three, you know, I started at 19. So I'm yeah. giving it from 19 to 33 
from a from a from a, yep. a all out sprint, and then I'm moving more into yep, I want to yep. have a kid, man. Like I want to I want to work really. I want to yep. go from like eighty hours to like sixty. Um, where are you at right there in your own mind as far as like do you put a time on it? Where does angel investing come into play? What are you trying to get out of angel investing? Talk you know, to me about that more personally. You know, I I, I didn't actually plan to fall in to to get into all this. It was the opportunities came to me. And again, it it originates from the beginning of our conversation. Like how do I get into all this? It really just came down to me helping people. And then the opportunities present itself where one day I engaged with a venture capitalist who's been a VC for more than, well, about 23 years. And he just said, Kay, I love what you're doing. I love, you know, how you help your community. And I love the, the content that you, you produce for your investors. I want you to join, I want you to join my family office and, and do venture capital with me. Right. And then most recently, same thing with the commercial real estate side. So how do I see all this evolving or building out the portfolio? Uh, I think I'm a little bit different in terms of like my portfolio allocation or development. Uh, I think it's more so at this point, uh, I, I feel very ambitious to become a very successful angel investor. And so uh, the current style, right, I guess the way I build my portfolio will be based off the resources that I'm allocated uh, and based off of that allocation, it's it's currently a volume play. So I'm not, I'm probably not like a Sequoia Capital or a, a Andreessen Horowitz or Greylock or whichever who are doing highly large concentrated bets. I'm actually doing more of a volume play. And so I perceive that more so that I get to go out there and deal source as hard as I want, meet all these startups and then choose which startups I invest into. So my goal right now, my most immediate goal is probably to do 50 startups. 50 startups would mean I would have more than a million dollars deployed because uh, every investment we could do anywhere from 25 to upwards of 100,000, right? And and so that's that's the structure so far. And the how much is your personal? How yeah, you yeah, yeah. So so uh, the family office would like that I have skin in the game, and so every deal I do about 10 percent, right? Now the split that I get is quite okay. favorable. It's 50-50. So it's a typical, you know, Sequoia Capital Venture Scout type of program. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And, and yeah. You're the one There's some specific strategies all around that. And and it's playing into a thesis that I have, right? So a- angel investing is, it's an interesting, I mean, for people who don't know, it's a very interesting career path in a sense that it's it's a big hustle. And it's a hustle that requires almost every dimension of of I, I guess every dimension of learning or education that you, you would need, right? You need relationship skills to go out there and build a network. You need to think critically about doing the due diligence around the investment. How big is the market opportunity? Analyze the person's network economics uh, and even looking at the product and all that. So it, it, it really tests you like, like any other gig that I could think of out there. <laughs> What what are the ways uh, that you financially benefit? Like how, how like how does it? I know how it works, but partly I want to know: Are there any other ways for my yeah. learnings and just for the listeners, right? Like like what uh you know what are the three or four different ways that you see money out of that you know fifteen k twenty k yeah 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 so so let's just say uh you know a very uh popular angel investor that puts he puts himself out very frequently is Jason Calacanis and he's over here in Silicon Valley. And he'll he'll run some numbers with people and yeah. show you that in angel investing you could get anywhere from a hundred x to a thousand x. So let's just say a twenty five thousand dollar investment, 
you had 100x or 1000x. Ultimately, it could pay out. I mean, this is over a period of five to 10 years. And most of the startups that you pick could have a high probability of uh, going bust. But I, I, I'm a different believer of that because I believe that you could, if you do your due diligence right, you could actually select really high probability successful ones. So. And so, so, so talk to me about the different ways though. I mean, what, you know, how do you get paid? You know, as from, is it, is it just equity, from the yeah. companies getting acquired? Equity valuations. Are there any? Mainly. Like, and, and that, that's usually in the form okay. of, uh, uh, well, look, like I guess the next rounds that come in, the next VCs that invest brings up the value of your your company that you invested into. But you really don't get paid out until you get some form of an exit. And so that exit is typically called a liquidity event. And that liquidity event could be a larger corporate buyer like Apple buying out your startup or an IPO event. All right. Or even a private equity group, which is an organized investment group that buys out the company. So, so mainly, yes, it's, it's through someone else buying you out is how the money's made. Got it. And, and uh, not, I mean, in the software it, segment, right. right. I've analyzed like physical businesses, like basic materials or mining, like mining companies and all that. These software companies, I mean, and in current, in the current market dynamics, they're not profitable. It's all, it's all, they're all zombie corporations. I hate to say that, but the markets are valuing it really high. A great example, the greatest example, actually, is actually Snowflake, which is trading at 100, 180 times price to sales. I've heard of that. Right? There's no earnings there, but then the thing is worth like $60, 70000000000 billion. So, so really, there's no later, there's no dividend distributions for quite a while for the software companies. These, most of these venture capitalists or venture investors, they're really just playing the appreciation game. So the name of the game is you invest first and someone buys you out, and that's where you make your money. It's not like the other side of the business that I, I, I now operate as well, which is commercial real estate investing. So, so the way I kind of picture it is my venture capital efforts is more of my appreciation, speculative technology investment game. But then that would generate a lot of like appreciation and capital gains. That, that means I have to pay a lot of taxes. So what I would do is I would transition it over to the commercial real estate side to, you know, let's say, invest into what they call opportunity zones, which is what the governments uh, determine as like a distressed economic pocket in the nation. And they will incentivize you to invest and defer your capital gains. So let's say if I made a million dollars in capital gains, I invest into commercial real estate. I could actually push that out like 10 years and not pay my, you know, million dollar capital gains. And, and over 10 years, I could even offset it by about 15%. At the same time, it'll cash flow me, right? So I made a million dollars on the venture capital side, right? And capital gains, I put it a million dollars into commercial real estate, right? So that means I'm not taxed, let's say 50, 50%. So I'm not putting 500K, I'm putting the full 1 million into commercial real estate and it's paying me 12% at 1% distribution per month, tax advantage, right? And, and, and I just wait 10 years. And, and in 10 years, I could probably 1031 exchange it into something else and never even pay taxes because I'm, I'm just deferring it out into infinity. So there are very, you know, I love finance. I love investing. And there are really, truly unique ways to, to accomplish things in this world. Talk to me about, let me, let me take a moment here on the finance part. Let me pause here for a minute. Let me pivot to another area. Talk to me about just you as an entrepreneur yep. and all the other aspects <laughs> of business, right? Talk to me about 
just just your your skill level, your passion, your your expertise. Yep. And so this is where I'm going with it, right? So um I'm gonna try to weave in between being very selfish and trying to understand yeah. where you're coming from and what you guys are doing. So when it, when it goes into the angel investing and and then some of the venture, um, what are you outside of the twenty five, the fifty, the a hundred, you know, the seventy five, yeah. whatever whatever the amount you're investing, you know, what are you, what are you guys whether that you personally the group, you know, what 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 are you guys bringing as value to some of these companies yeah. to make sure they actually find success? So, and I'm asking you that. No, I I, I love that question. So and and to answer it uh, as transparent and honestly as possible, uh, I I guess I absolutely please. love what I do in the venture capital game, and so every startup that I basically I guess you could say grow in love with and their thesis, their business model, and the the adventures that they're tackling. Uh, you know, I I tell them like, hey, like, uh, in order for me to invest, like, I want to be, I want to, in the conversation, I want to see if we could be friends for the next ten years and beyond. And in those ten years and beyond, I'm going to help you as much as possible. So to make sure that my angel investing business is successful, uh, I've actually went out there and met over a hundred plus other angel investors, and I came to the ultimate conclusion that most of them just kind of throw a check and walk away. Right. That's the vast majority. So I'm, I'm different. I stand out. I, I, I guess you could say I'm more of a strategic angel investor. And in order for me to accomplish that, I'm just as you know, I guess you could say I'm hustling just as hard as what the startups would do. So every day, every week, I have my quantitative models that I need to hit. In other words, every Sunday, I have to engage with 100 investors in Silicon Valley who are software engineers that builds up a human capital base. And eventually, over time, when my startups grow and they need to hire, well, they're always open up. Uh, I'll, I'll always open up my resources in terms of human capital for them to hire engineers, right? And 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 then on my weekdays, well, I'm meeting a lot of like C-suite executives in Silicon Valley, which happens to be uh, potential investors for commercial real estate, as well as other startups that that I source, as well as customers for the startup. So what I'm really doing as an entrepreneur is really I'm building out my ecosystem in this. It, this technology software ecosystem that will yeah. that's highly appreciative and it's gonna you know it's just it just takes time it's like any other business how do you how do you think about the work that i do as it pertains to angel investing and venture so um right now so right now mm-hmm. uh, the e1b2 collective my my company and then a lot of my partners we are yeah, yeah. And again, yeah. and I told you this, right? Like I told you this when I first met you. Like you know, you know, part of what I, why I liked you so much is our our past and the way that we build yep. things are very similar. It's all about networks, it's all about relationships. And so you know, we're right now we're we're talking to a lot of venture studios, yep. talking to a lot of venture capitalists, we're talking to a lot of incubators, a lot of angels like yourself. And um, you know, we want to yep. find connector relationships, get introductions. Yep. We want to find integrated partnerships. We want to find the blend of the two. Um, we want to uh, be advisors. We want to be a resource. We want to prove our worth and add value and and jump in and, and have some phone calls with teams and, and and founders and you know. So how do you guys? Please, <laughs> yeah. You seem like a straight up guy, so be very straight up with me. Um, how do you guys think about you know people like me or a company like me now before you answer that i will say very similar to you i'm a little bit yeah. different i'm a i personally am a hybrid right like 
you're probably not yeah. going to run into too many people operation leaders that have started six and seven figure businesses and then shifted over immediately to go into the, like you're probably not going to meet too many that are a, a mesh between yeah. an entrepreneur and a people operations leader but you know how do you think about partnerships with companies that can come in support founder you know behavior can support people operations infrastructure can support you know recruiting initiatives can support you know creating you know ex infrastructure how do, how do you guys think about that because the game that i'm playing is you have a product market fit you're doing a lot of great work if you want to get big and you want to grow fast you're probably going to need a lot of people depending on the business model you know that it really yeah, depends you yeah. can you can be very lean and get big don't get me wrong but um you know hat you know in an 18 month window having a founding team of three and then turning around yeah. and having and staring at 150 people is, is yeah. very over it's very overwhelming for a lot of founders um how do you think about people like me and yeah and, i mean helping i think the enablement best? or education platforms in the venture space is very critical right accelerators incubators uh for maybe the the growth and the development of like first-time founders so to be, as you asked, for me to be like completely direct with you, uh, I think most VCs or angels view these incubators, Please. accelerators as like a, a deals hub, right? Anything like a YC or a 500 startups, they basically build up a brand like anything else, like an Apple brand or an individual influencer brand, like enterprise guy. And over time, the deal flow will just come, will float to that brand, whether it be a physical brand or I, I guess a product brand or an individual brand. But I, I really just view these uh, these platforms as like uh, areas for me to source startups to invest into, but as well as critical foundational steps for the first time founders to, uh, I guess, accelerate and catch up to speed. Now, if you ask me even more directly, go ahead. No, I was going to say, what about now even more directly, like what about you know, and again, with my company, yeah. it's not, you know, the work that we do is more around, you know, you know, creating head of people yep. infrastructure, creating people operations internally, changing leadership yep. behavior, stretching that behavior across the organization. Um, how do you think about that even more directly as it pertains to like, so let me be very direct. So like, so for example, yep. I just got off a call prior to, to meeting with you in this podcast. Um, we're in the middle of trying to find an integrated partnership where uh with with every new uh startup they invest in into their portfolio yeah we will come in and do like a swooping of the house and and work with founders you know look at projections of team uh you know from a workforce to you know for workforce development you know yep. who you're going to need when are you going to need them you know what behaviors as a founder will you need to have when they are there how can we prep to get ready for that infrastructure creating you know uh, or or chart development like how do you think about that stuff um from a partnership perspective or or working with people like me i'm assuming you may or may not have thoughts about it i'm assuming yeah. you probably or maybe do have a lot of relationships to support your portfolio but how do you how do you think about yeah that? i i would actually uh, would say that i'm actually building that simultaneously right the the community of investors that i build up it becomes a platform but not necessarily a people's operation so your particular platform has more of a specific niche that, that you're, you're trying to service for, for these founders. Um, how 
how I feel about it, or, or I'm sorry, the question that you asked. Yeah, just you know, how do you, how do you yeah. how do you feel about it personally, and then I guess just objectively, you know, how do you right? How do you guys evaluate it? Ex- okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so for your so, portfolio companies, like I have a different angle of perspective as an angel investor, right? I look at these platforms, and I know there are a lot of platforms out there, but uh, of course, there's always everyone wants to work with the best platform. For me personally, uh, for my portfolio companies. I came to the ultimate realization, probably in the last six months, I've engaged with more than 100 startups. And I developed this ability to kind of segment the different startup deal flow that, that happens out there. What the ultimate conclusion that I came to is that these incubators, accelerators, they attract a lot of first time founders, which is essentially not the deal flow that I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is more of an esoteric deal flow. So that's why I say I think these platforms, these educational enablement platforms are great according to their different niches but it really it really comes down to what the individual investor venture investor is looking for in order to provide value back to their startups so most of the startups that i invest into they're not the first time founder right they're like second time third time and so basically uh, i could give you an example right i've recently invested into a cybersecurity company where the original uh one of the first hires was basically octa employee number one or number three after the founders and today, Okta is worth about $30 billion. And what happened was he left that company, he built another company called Skytail. And then Skytail got sold to HP Enterprises. And then now he's working on this third startup, which I invested into. So, so what does that say? He's a third time founder and he's experienced enough that he'll never float to these incubators, accelerators. So if I'm going to look for that high tier esoteric deal flow, these startups are always heads down, building product and talking to customers. So the specific platform that I'm looking to build, which I think most other platforms might not be able to see the opportunity that I see, is I'm networking with the highest level of a corporation, the C-suite layer. So all the CISO, CTO, CIO, CEO in Silicon Valley geographically, right? I'm just stacking my probabilities. So, so I, I would say these platforms are case by case, but I'm also developing my own platform, which is more of a boutique offering that most most other platforms are might not be aware of and that's how it creates the value uh, of enterprise guy essentially right so 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 again to, to simplify it there's deal flow or first-time founders that will float to incubators and accelerators but then there's esoteric deal flow that only floats between Sequoia capital and Greylock or Kleiner Perkins so my question is how do I insert myself into that esoteric deal flow. Will you find me at an incubator accelerator? Not so much. I could advise startups, but I know that's not the caliber of startups that I'm looking for. I'm looking for you know, pretty high tier startups because I think my offering, my brand as enterprise guy is really, I think is really powerful and, and, and that's where I wanna build. So it's a, it's a constant challenge to me and it's a taste of startup. You'll, you'll develop this taste in startups uh, in my opinion, only through meeting a lot of startups. So, so I guess most of the time I could probably detect the caliber of startups that I engage with, and and depending on what platforms they float by, uh, I could tell where they stand in terms of tiers. I hate to put it that way because it sounds very, I guess, provocative or whichever. But uh, as an investor, I have my own incentives to to really outperform. And and, and and to wrap yeah. that all up, because that was all very helpful. I guess to wrap that all up, you know, 
how do you guys, you know, how, how often do you stay involved? So again, you know, what you, everything you said is kind of an gist of what I was yeah. really looking for, but also I guess to wrap it up, you know, how, how long do you stay around these startups as they move from, like you said, you know, a, a, a founder on his third startup to, you know, he has 30, 40, 70, 80 people, you know, are you around then trying to support? And if so, yeah. you know, because again, directly the work that oh, I yeah. do, we're looking for those high quality startups. And so for, for us, for us, they need to get to 50, 60, yep. 70 employees because when they call on us, that means they're thinking about exactly you know building out systems and processes, um, aka ahead of people type infrastructure. Yep. yep. Uh, and and wanting to do that right, you know, you know, how do you think about that? Like, do you guys stay committed to them and provide support to your yep. network and and make introductions and support those startups, or do you? Just, That's exactly like, it. How, I mean, I'm always eventually, you know, at the level that I invest into startups, they're worth about five to fifteen million. By the time they get to evaluation of, let's say, I don't know, a hundred million or even a billion, uh, they already have a lot of momentum and, I guess, economic or demand dynamics that they probably wouldn't have time for me. So by then, uh, I hope that you know I, I put enough support into them at the seed stage, at the very early stage, that they'll remember me, uh, and and just kind of keep the relationship. So uh, yeah, I mean, I I want to always have my doors open for these startups that I originally invest in. Again, when I invest into a startup, I don't just see it's not just business to me. It's actually quite personal because I want to be friends with these guys for like the next decade and beyond and support them in their journeys. So if push comes to shove and they're looking to scale uh, platforms such as yourself, it, it becomes mandatory, right? So I, I will seek the right platforms and build the right relationships. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's scalability, it's it's super important, especially hyper-scalability. When you, re, when you really need a, I guess you could say, uh, compress a year's effort down to like 90 days. <laughs> And that's what that's what your I mean platform I would assume would do that, that, right. We want to compress that 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 time it takes to go to market or whichever whatever objectives. What um sure what prop yeah. the last question I would ask this is something that I've been floating around. What what you know when I, when I have a lot of guests on these podcasts and frankly just when I talk to a lot of people in startup world. Everyone, and this is something that I've learned in my world of employee experience and leadership. And, you know, I've learned to be very vulnerable and I'm very comfortable in it. Um, as I've started building relationships, I've realized that most humans are not comfortable being vulnerable. Um, you know, a lot of people come onto my podcast and just conversations I'm having and yeah. they just make it seem like everything is beautiful sure. and perfect. So let's get vulnerable for a minute. What in, yep. in your personal career right now, whether it's your angel investing, whether it's with your personal company, you know, what problems are you trying to solve right now that maybe we can rift on for a moment and try to unpack a bit that you can walk away like, yeah, I feel a little bit closer to the solution. Like, is, is there anything that you're pondering right now, whether it's with a partner, a friend, a mentor? Um, that we can rift on right now that you're trying to unpack and solve 
Um, it's just something that I find interesting where, again, you know, most people try to uh, uh, be very strong and be very, you know, you know, outward facing and creating yeah. a, 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 an appearance where everything was perfect. But I think I think the magic comes when when you're trying to solve problems and and and, and hearing other perspectives. So something we can riff on for a moment. Yeah, Anything yeah, um, that's a big question. I, I think I've met enough startups, worked at enough companies uh, to really say that it looks like a, a shit show everywhere. <laughs> and, and that's just something that you guys just smile and make it happen. And so I developed a lot of grit and resilience. Uh, so when you say, you know, it doesn't always look like beautiful on, on the other side. Uh, I, I personally try to make it my best to make it fun for everyone on the producer side of things. So the one thing that I am personally trying to figure out and innovate or push for myself is I've, like I said, in the last six months, I've engaged with more than a hundred startups and saw some of the most leading, bleeding edge, sophisticated technologies. And what I came to conclusion is that, well, some of these companies are selling like AI machine learning and all that, but yet their process, they're selling AI machine learning, giving futuristic technologies to other people, but the way they sell it is with sticks and stones, right? And so, and so I'm in the constant, uh, as of late mm. now, uh, I've been constantly thinking about how could I personally leverage or, or perform what I call OL, which is operational leverage. How can I sell or, or push a product or, or build a startup with not sticks and stones, but AI technology as well, right? So, so it's very ironic that I find AI, ML, machine learning startups out there building their startups with sticks and stones when they should be building with AIML, just like what they are. Um, so my answer to that what's is really answer, what we talked about last so time. Far? What, do you think what I came to conclusion is that, well, I, I've learned it the hard way where I built my own community here in Silicon Valley over a period of four years. And it took me four years to get 100 people every month. I mean, from a growth, you know, growth perspective, it's not that great. Versus if I were to build my, I guess, empire through TikTok, it would have been a lot quicker. And what, what I ultimately came to conclusion is that, well, you yeah. could put two perfectly similar person together and they both start a startup and, and they're equally the same, nothing different. But if you give them the right piece of technology, or if you give one a better piece of technology and the other one is pushing with sticks and stones... Well, the one with the right piece of technology will always be better. So I might have, you know, built a better foundation, right? But I didn't build a, a let's say, a million following on YouTube or, or, or TikTok. So, so the ultimate conclusion that I came to was that, again, my, my foundation, my grit, my resilience is probably a lot better because I've done over almost 200 lectures for two hours. Uh, over, I think... Again, my, that foundation would be better over someone that just became famous overnight. But if you recall most recently in society or in, in the nation today, there was a gentleman who basically was on TikTok uh, living in the middle of nowhere, if I recall, and he's just creating TikTok videos. And next thing you know, in a period of a quarter, just three months, I feel, he became nationally famous for riding a longboard and drinking cranberry juice. So... I think that that story is very indicative oh, yeah, of something. Yeah. 
in the way we apply operational leverage and build a startup. That there are techniques that exist in this economy uh, that could really accelerate the process. And so that, in other words, is growth hacking. And it's been the number one, I'd say, or pretty top priority in my mind as to how do I teach my startups to apply OL or operational leverage or growth hacking, as well as how do I apply it to, to myself and make sure that I'm not building something with sticks and stones. But I, I do admit I did uh, with my investment club over the last four years. <laughs> now, it's funny, but sometimes building it the old-fashioned way through sticks and stones no, make you a, a lot more robust. And I think that's, that's what it brought me in terms of self-development. But in terms of like pure economic games, gains, uh, I think it would have been better if I built my platform somewhere else. So, so moving forward, uh, I feel a lot more wiser about that. But uh, if I could do things a little bit differently, well, now you guys all know. <laughs> there it is. Well, I appreciate this, man. I think this was a really enlightening conversation. 90% of what you were talking about I'm not going to say I didn't know about, but the the depth in which you went, I was really tuning in and listening myself. So I really, really appreciate it. And, uh, and I'm going to sure. run this back and listen and learn. Um, I'm going to send this to you uh, within the next couple of days. Uh, please share. Um, and then uh, let's let's definitely set up some time. Sure. I have a few thoughts on, on ways to be able to stay in touch and help each other out. So please, let's Hey, uh, no, let's Anthony, it's a real and, pleasure. Uh, and I got to say thank I you so much today, for uh, giving me the time here today. So let's let's catch up soon. All right, man. Talk soon. Bye bye.